This is exactly right. Forgive me for interrupting. I'm Bridger Weiniger, host of I Said No Gifts on Exactly Right. Each week, I invite my favorite people in comedy over to chat, and they always bring a gift. We're coming up on our 200th episode, and every episode is a gem. I have welcomed all kinds of great guests, including Cola Scola, Bowen Yang, Robbie Hoffman. It goes on and on and on. And you don't want to miss the 200th episode with the great Maria Bamford. What does she bring me? Find out April 25th. New episodes every Thursday. Follow I Said No Gifts wherever you get your podcasts. You're worried about yourself and you feel awful and you're obsessing. And that's hard as a parent, right? Because that's not what we're supposed to think as parents. We're supposed to think about our kids. We're not supposed to think about ourselves. We're not supposed to hide in our bedrooms and not want to be with people. But but that just to know that this will pass and you can get help and this is not who you are. Welcome to Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan. I'm Dr. Dan. This show is about making the world a more loving, accepting, and compassionate place, one parent, one person, and one child at a time. The key to raising healthy and engaged kids is for us parents to seek the same in our own lives while striving to be the best versions of ourselves each day. No matter who you are or where you came from, With increased awareness, you can be purposeful about leaving a healthy footprint for your children, your family, and all those you care about while living your own life to the fullest. Today's show is Introverts, Anxiety, and Achievers. And I have a lot to tell you about our guest, Maura Ahrens-Mealy. Maura is an entrepreneur and communications executive who founded the award-winning strategic communications agency, Women Online and The Mission List, an influencer database. Moore is an expert in online marketing who has been working with women online since 1999. She actually helped Hillary Clinton log on for her first internet chat and has launched digital campaigns for President Obama, Malala Yousafzai, the United Nations, AARP, the CDC, and many other leading figures and organizations. As an anxious introvert herself, Mora host top-rated podcast, The Anxious Achiever, for HBR Presents from Harvard Business Review. She is passionate about helping people rethink the relationship between their mental health and their leadership. Prior, she was the host of Forbes podcast, Hiding in the Bathroom, which is also the title of her first book, Hiding in the Bathroom, How to Get Out There When You Would Rather Stay Home, which is an Amazon bestseller and is available in five languages. There's so much more to say. She's a prolific freelance writer. She's written for the Harvard Review, the Oprah Magazine, the Wall Street Journal, and so much more. She has degrees from the Harvard Kennedy School and Brown University and holds a certificate in government from the London School of Economics. She lives with her husband and her three kids in Boston. Maura, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you. That was and that was the short version. You, you have done a lot. This anxious achiever in you has done a lot. I hate hearing my bio read. It, it just is like so cringy, as my kids would say. <laughs> <laughs> it's like. I understand that. Uh, being on the other side, I understand that because you hear these things. So actually go, go like, what does it make you think of when you hear all of these, these accomplishments about yourself? That's interesting. I mean, it, it makes me think of um, how we have to sort of dress ourselves up and describe ourselves yeah. in this world. And, um, but it, it brings back memories too. Like when you read certain moments in my bio, I think back to it, you know, mm-hmm. both bad and good. Yeah. It's yeah. 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 I know when mine is read, I feel the same way. And I'm just like, I'm, t- I'm just Dan, you know, like this doesn't, exactly. like, this is me, but it's not me at the same time. Um, we're going mm-hmm. to, and I have a feeling, I mean, I know we do relate on the, uh, achievement oriented, um, blessing and curse, which we'll talk about, um, before we go there, tell us a little bit about just where you're from and your, your, your upbringing. Mm, I'm, I'm from South Orange, New Jersey. 
so sort of a, a bridge and tunnel community of New York City. And my upbringing was very 1980s, I would say. I'm a, I'm a Gen Xer. Mm-hmm. So my parents were split from the time I was, oh God, seven, eight. It was confusing. And I was shuttled back and forth. Uh, you know, and, uh, had a, had a very, uh, self-directed childhood compared to kids today. I think as many, Mm -hmm. as many of our generation did, you know, um, I had to, to cook dinner at an early age for me and my sister and, and sort of, I think fend, fend for myself in ways that, that certainly my kids don't. Right. Right. Don't have to. Right. And looking back, and again, it is a it is a different time. It is a different time, and we know that mm-hmm. it seems that, in addition to all of the um, increased stress um, that our kids are growing up with, from social media to pandemic to so much more um, political unrest, climate change, name it. <laughs> do you feel like positive, negative, both that you? had to do this stuff yourself versus our kids, a lot of our, many of our kids, depending, you know, if they're so in a sense fortunate, I guess, don't have to like, what, what's your take on that? I think there, I think it's, I think there are pluses and minuses. I mean, I, I think my husband and I try really hard to give our kids a lot of independence. You know, we make them take the tea places and they, um, I want them to be, and they make their own lot. Like they, they are able to do things by themselves. Cause I think that's important, mm-hmm. but I think that for me, I associate um, my childhood with a sense of um, aloneness that I would not want my kids to mm-hmm. feel. Although I had a really interesting childhood. My parents were interesting and I was exposed to a lot of stuff and I had a, a very rich childhood, like intellectually, and I got to do a lot of cool stuff, mm-hmm. but um I think growing up in the moment I did just sort of literally being shuttled around public transportation by myself with no cell phone to meet my parents, yeah. you know, yeah. in New York in the eighties, like I wouldn't really wish that on my kids. Not that it was dangerous, but I think that there is, there is merit to knowing that you're taken care of. Yeah. There's, um, there's merit to knowing that even if you are asked to do something independently, there's a grown up who's waiting in the wings for you. Yeah, for sure. And um, lighthouse parenting, lighthouse you know? parenting. Yes, this new term, which is wonderful. As our friend can, yeah. Yes, yeah. yes. Um, I was just thinking, yeah, I just talked to Dr. Ginsburg and uh, exactly wonderful, everyone. So, everyone, lighthouse parenting is this great, this great image of being that strong, sturdy, stable lighthouse on the shore, shining a light for our kids in the calm to crashy sea, but being there for them um, and sort of looking out over them as opposed to controlling them or being absent to oversimplify. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So the anxious achiever, I'm so interested in hearing, you know, as a um, very insightful and um, aware person that you are, which I can say from um, listening to a lot of your interviews and reading a lot of your stuff, mm. how, wh- what was, well, what was your road to becoming an anxious achiever? Like, when did you even realize those were things that fit you? Terms that, <laughs> that described you? Um. I think that I, I, it's funny because my my podcast is called The Anxious Achiever, and I think my forthcoming book will be too. But I was also playing around with the term anxious ambition, mm. um, and 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 lo- the editors at HBR sort of helped me coin anxious achiever, and I think it's it's such a great term because people sort of get it right, like you you kind of are one, and like you know it, right? Um, yep. I think that being an anxious achiever is is both a blessing and a curse. Mm -hmm. I think that it is the sense of having innate drive and ambition, but that drive and ambition can come either from a very dark place or kind of an anxious place. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's this sense that there's something propelling you forward that is driven a little bit by worry and fear about what might happen, which is of course, anxiety. 
Right. Right. And it is a balance, isn't it? And, and I think for mm-hmm. those of us, those people who are inclined towards achieving, speaking for myself, it's like you're just achieving and you're not always sure why you're achieving. You just know that you have this need to. And there is this fine or not so fine line between um, I really like what I'm doing and it feels really good to kick butt and to do well and to climb versus oh my God, what if I don't? And what's going to happen to me? And what will other people think? And will I have any value? And of course, these aren't the these aren't the words that are really said in our head until we can really peel them back to understand like those voices often are in there in these situations. I mean, you're, you're a psychologist, right? So you must have many, many thoughts on, um, you know, what drives people. Um, and I don't think there's any simple answer to what drives people to achieve, but I know that a lot of people I talk to, and myself included, feel that sense of being propelled by the what ifs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So uh, I'm glad you said that, everyone. The what ifs. And when we think about any of us who have ever experienced anxiety, I would argue that um, eight out of 10 of at least of the internal phrasing, voices, um, internal dialogue, automatic thoughts, whatever terminology you want to use, start with what if dot, 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 dot. It's Mm -hmm. like all future focused. It's all worrying about the catastrophe, which seems so huge, which drives us, compels us. Um, And it's it's real and it it grips. when did you when did you start to do your work on understanding the your your anxiety? I mean, I've been in therapy for decades. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so for me, yeah. I had I had always been a capital A anxious person, you know. I had my first sort of breakdown with panic anxiety and major depressive disorder when I was 19 mm-hmm. and I'm 45 now. And so ever since then I've had periods and bouts and I've um, had a bunch of different diagnoses and I've been on meds and, you know, been through it all. So mm-hmm. it's always been a part of my life. What, I, I kind of had this moment actually when I was writing my book, hiding in the bathroom. Um, and it was a book ostensibly about being an introvert. And Mm -hmm. wanting to have a big career and have a big, ambitious, sort of driven life while being introverted. And I realized sort of halfway through the book that what I was feeling and what I was writing about was really anxiety, not introversion. Hmm. but introversion was like more easy to brand and more popular. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so right. I think yeah. my publisher that yeah. that ship had Harper Collins was like yeah. introversion, great keyword. Let's yeah. go with that. We're running with it. Um, but exactly. But what I realized, and what I realized when I spoke with audiences, is that I really wanted to talk about anxiety. I wanted to talk about having social anxiety and being scared to talk to people. Mm-hmm. I mean, even before this podcast today, I, I didn't want to do it. Mm. I want to cancel, you know, I wanted to talk about what it's like when the what ifs keep you up at night when they're triggered by money and you're trying to run a business, right? Mm-hmm. When right. you're trying to take risk, but risk is really hard for you because of your anxiety, all of those elements I would talk about and they would be so real for me that I think they were very real for the people I was speaking with. And mm-hmm. I thought, oh my gosh, like this is, this is it. This is, I had this sort of moment where I thought this is what I what I really care about. I had always been a workplace person. I had studied um, workplace redesign and leadership theory and all that stuff in graduate school in hopes of being, and I I actually went to social work school as well, like in hopes of Mm. being a workplace psychologist. I was always obsessed with work and why work is so bad for most people. Mm. Um, But then when I hit upon the idea that anxiety is something that we're also bringing to work, I got really interested. Yeah, it makes it really meaningful, doesn't it? When it's like, well, yeah, (laughs) like I find, I mean, again, I agree with my work as well. Whenever it personally resonates, there's so much passion and power 
and meaning behind doing the work to help others um, understand themselves and and grow and be the best versions of themselves, regardless of their profile, their makeup, whatever labels, right? Like we're all humans trying to get through this thing the best way we can. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I don't know if you find this, I mean, I guess by the time people come into your, your office, they've accepted a lot of stuff, but you know, I think so many of us, so many of us act out our anxiety at work every day unconsciously. Mm -hmm. And that was something I really wanted to talk about. Mm -hmm. Um, Something you said uh, on, first of all, being on, I listened to how I built this when you were on how I built this, which is one of my favorite podcasts. And you said, amazing. Yeah. You said, when you understand yourself, you are better. And that, Mm -hmm. I mean, that talk about that's awareness, right? When you understand yourself, you are better. So I know there's this parallel between like what you've learned in your life and then what you share that helps so many people. What was there like what were some of these keys self-understanding that then you were able to harness in your work and in your role in, in some really, you know, most of us, you know, and I, again, I only read part of your bio, like you're in, have been in some very high stake situations, a lot, many, and people be like, wait, you're anxious. You're an introvert. How, how do you, how do you do that? <laughs> Well, I mean, I think you fake it. And I, and I think the important thing to say is that the reason why I realized what I was talking about wasn't just introversion, but it was anxiety is that um, as, as my friend, Dr. Ellen Hendrickson will say, an unanxious introvert will go to the party and leave without any anxiety, right? Like they don't have issues <laughs> around right. what they need, right? right? Uh, you can be an anxious extrovert. You can have social anxiety and um, and still want to get out there. So I think a lot of us think that introversion is about avoiding people and feeling really nervous before we enter a room. And, and, and that's actually social anxiety, right? Yeah. I mean, social anxiety and introversion are twins because a lot of introverts become socially anxious, um, but they're different. So I just wanted to say that. I mean, I, I think that I believe that, of course, we all have to understand ourselves. And, of course, not everyone has clinical anxiety, but I think the pandemic has shown that anxiety is in the water. Oh, yeah. I mean, I haven't met a person in three years who isn't anxious, right? Right, Because we don't know what the future will bring. We don't Mm -hmm. know if we're going to get a call from school in an hour saying that we have to come pick up our kids and there goes our workday and we don't know if we're all going to die. I mean, it really runs the gamut, right? Right. Right. And so I think that now all of us are familiar in a way of talking about anxiety that we just weren't, mm-hmm. which makes my job a lot easier, to be honest. Yeah, it really does. I mean, it, it for sure, the increase in anxiety in the U.S. and in the globe has it's catapulted since the pandemic. I mean, mm-hmm. it was bad. It was the number one um, health issue before the pandemic, and it's clearly um, secured its place. Uh, due to what we've all been experiencing. I, I'm i glad you mentioned the difference between introversion and anxiety because fortunately, introversion has received a lot, is more to more of a mainstream con- um, construct and paradigm that people talk about, which is, you know, I, this this doesn't have to be an extroverted, an extrovert's world, right? Because there is this like pressure yeah. to be out there, to love people, to show your best self to everyone. And that's a lot of pressure. And you don't have, there's so many introverts and so many happy, successful introverts, but let's not confuse being afraid to be in a social situation, petrified of saying the wrong thing, of being humiliated, Mm -hmm. the stomach aches, the headaches. You might, as you said, you might be an introvert, but that's anxiety. And the reason it's so important that you bring this up is that you can get help for anxiety. Like you don't have to just say, oh, well, that's just me. I'm an introvert. People are hard for me. Mm -hmm. I'm never going to get what I want in my career, in my life, in my social life. You don't have to say that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what, and again, it's, as I was watching you, I'm just interested in what, 
your tricks have been, like your tools, because, you know, here you are on stages. And um, if I had the sound turned down, I would not even think you were talking at times about being um, introverted or anxious. I mean, like, you're doing it. And so, and it's not easy. So, what have you learned to do for you to be able to show up and and do what you're meant to be doing and the way you impact? It's a discipline. And I, and I think that if you speak with any performer, they will they will say probably that they need a little bit of anxiety, right? They mm-hmm. they need that little bit of anxiety to fire them up to get the adrenaline going, right? And mm-hmm. I believe that you can channel and manage your anxiety, but you do have to train yourself. I mean, the funny thing is, is that I have terrible social anxiety, but I'm a ham. I uh, love being on stage. I love being on camera. I like once I get going, I feel great. Usually Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it's just getting there. That's really, really hard. And I'm not unusual that way. Mm -hmm. I can't tell you how many people I've spoken with who give speeches on way bigger stages than me. And they're like, yeah, no problem. I'll, I'll nail that talk in front of a crowded auditorium. But when it comes to making small talk one-on-one, I freeze. I can't do it. My social anxiety goes into overdrive because I fear people will be judging me for my small talk ability. And so I think that all of us do it and you learn the discipline. And I think for, for me, what's, what's really important. And, and, and I'll be honest, there are sometimes when my anxiety, you know, I have, I have clinical anxiety and mm-hmm. sometimes it takes me down. Like it's not a walk in the park, you know, um, right. sometimes I can't do it, but when I'm having an okay month, right. When I'm feeling kind of rushes of anxiety, but I'm basically functioning, mm-hmm. I breathe and I prepare. I rehearse like crazy because I know that I need to master that first five minutes before I start. And and that's not just giving a speech that could be doing a business call that could be starting a zoom meeting. Honestly, you have to have visualized the first say 10 minutes before into the five minutes of during, and then you're going to be fine because your natural muscle memory will take over. Yes. So I encourage everyone to prepare. I totally relate to that. Um, I am definitely an over-preparer. And um, I I think it started in college, actually, when I didn't really know how to study in high school. But I I think when my, my, like, that anxious achiever kicked in, and again, more with more fear-based thoughts than I was aware of at the time. Um, mm-hmm. I would plan on my calendar like a week in, two weeks in advance to start studying for this. I mean, it was really, really like anal obsessive, and I didn't realize till much later that was the way. That is just what I do. Like I have stacks of papers all around me for my preparation for this conversation. Mm-hmm. But once I know where I'm going and what I want to talk about with you. I don't even need the papers anymore, but I need it all yeah. that time to feel good about being ready. Yep. Total anxiety management and, and technique. Yeah. Totally. There's another technique that I use a lot um, from, from ACT therapy called mm-hmm. dropping anchor. <laughs> Should we talk about yes. that? Yeah, yeah, please. Um, so... This is a sort of new learning for me in the past couple of years, but it's really helpful. If you are feeling anxious during your work day or school day or or whatever, you have something coming up and you can feel the racing heart and the beating in your chest and the nauseousness or whatever, however anxiety shows up for you, right? Because anxiety is a whole body reaction. It's really, really helpful to just put your feet on the floor and breathe and try to notice what's around you. It's called dropping anchor. And really what it is, is just placing a pause and getting outside of your brain and a little distance from your anxiety. And then after you pause and you can breathe and you can even give an out breath that's longer than your in breath, right? To calm yourself down a little bit. Then you can actually jump into what you were just talking about, making your lists, <laughs> preparing, yes. channeling that anxiety because you've still got the adrenaline. 
And, um, and your mind might need that sense of control. You know, sometimes I don't have any science to back this up, but I feel like those of us who are anxious achievers, you know, for whatever reason, need that sense of, I have a plan. Here's how I'm going to plan for this. Yes. Dropping in everyone. Um, so act everyone that's acceptance and commitment therapy which has been around now for um, some time. It's a, newer, it's a newer offshoot of, in a sense of like cognitive behavioral therapy and mindfulness-based therapy. And it's, it's a wonderful, so look that up. It's a wonderful modality. Um, and right there is, is, is just such a practical way to bring us back to ourselves in that present moment. Because gosh, like our worry and anxiety, it always takes us to the future. It's like, it just propels mm-hmm. us to what if this happens? What if this happens? What if this happened? And unless we are in a dangerous, harmful situation in the moment, which we're not thinking about what ifs, if when we are in those moments, all of this is just a, it just pulls us away from what is happening right now. And it pulls us away from being able to be the best version of ourself in the moment. Yes. Yes. And it's a liar sometimes. Oh, it's a total liar, right? I mean, most of the time, it's lying thoughts. So as, as a parent... How how has your path, both personally and professionally, how does it impact how you parent? Well, we listen to a lot of podcasts in our house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, my, my kids love podcasts, which makes me happy because um, they've grown up with me recording in the closet all, all the time. I... Um, it's funny. I, I, I did a I did a I did a session with Amanda Morin, who's wonderful, um, from Understood.org, which is a great resource yep, if your child resource. has learning differences. Or, mm-hmm. um, and and we were talking about being neurodiverse parents. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had this laugh because we we were both like, gosh, you know, our kids are so complicated, and like they have stuff going on and mental health stuff and diagnoses. And where did that all come from? <laughs> we were like, yeah. Duh. Yeah. Right. Um, so, I mean, I feel like my kids are amazing, but they have stuff. And, um, and that is how it is in our yeah. family. And um, we do a lot of therapy. We're mm-hmm. very pro therapy in the family and, um, you know, the, the hard thing is that because I, because I, you know, get clinical, sometimes I get upset. Like, I think my kids have seen me be very anxious. They've seen me be depressed. That's not ideal. I would mm-hmm. not choose that for them, but I think that it has fostered conversations and openness. I hope right. that right. means they will never be scared of big feelings and, and also mental illness. So many of us are scared of it. Yeah. I, um, you just helped me with a flash memory when I was going through a very difficult time and was, was depressed and our oldest, I think she was like four ish and I'm, she's sitting in the back seat. Mm. I'm at a stoplight taking her maybe to school and I mean, remember exactly where I was in the, uh, on the street, and I remember it being gloomy, and I remember the feeling I had, which was just like this numb, you know, I was looking towards my old job and this commute and all. I was just like, I, I remember the feeling. And all of a sudden, I hear from the back seat, Dad, why does your face look like that? And mm. I looked up at up at the rearview mirror to see her, and then of course I could see my face, and I saw I was just total flat, right? I was depressed, and it would it was this huge like whoa, man. No matter how old they are, like how I am is going to affect how they are, and I just have to. I mean, it, it really helped me in the sense of like I gotta fi- I gotta keep working and figure this thing out. You know, if not just for what me, you, what, but for them. What did you say to her? Um, that is a good question. That is a good question. Um, 
I don't know what I said. And I remember thinking, oh man, even for her, that was probably a BS answer. Right? Like, I just feel <laughs> like I was just not prepared for it. And I, I, I think I destroyed, like, um, uh, oh, like, oh, like, what do you mean? Or I'm fine. Or I, I don't know. It wasn't, I, I don't know how, now that you're making me think, I don't know what the optimal way to answer that is. It's maybe like, um, oh, daddy's just thinking really hard right now. Or um, no. we have to be really careful, right? What we tell our kids, we want to be real and authentic. I'm interested in how you handle these situations. It's like, we have to walk this balance of being real. And so not showing not negating a reality that is really there for our kids, but also yeah. we don't want them to worry about us. No, I feel like that's the battle. And of course, I think a lot of it is age dependent, right? I mean, a four-year-old isn't going to understand my, my 13 year old who's been through the pandemic, right. And yeah. been through, of course, his own stuff, you know, it's a different, it's a different story, but, but I, but I also, I mean, I guess if I had a wish for anybody, it would be that they could tell the truth about how they're feeling, but not feel like that made them a burden on someone else, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. that, it, right. that it was, that it was going to be okay, you know, and, and we never want to be a burden on our kids. It's not right for us mm -hmm. to be a burden on our kids, mm -hmm. but I also, I'm okay with telling my kids sometimes mommy's really sad today. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I, I appreciate, like, I appreciate the openness and I do think our, to be human is to feel pain at different levels of pain, psychological, emotional, physical, and mm -hmm some of us get a heavier dose of it either by way of um, neurochemistry, genetics, or by life experience. And our kids are going to also, right? And, and how do we model being real, also having self-compassion? Um, I know a lot mm. of us anxious, a lot of us anxious overachievers are not very kind to ourselves with our thinking. And, and then end up with kids that might have some similar characteristics. Like, how do we, <laughs> how do we, right? Like, how important is it to be able to be real and model even in, I mean, you talk about this in your work with leadership, right? To, you, to, to lead even when you're not feeling okay. It's the same thing in our home, right? It's exactly the same. We don't get a choice about parenting, right? But Sometimes I'll never forget. I was I when I when my book Hiding in the Bathroom came out. I did an event locally, and the the um, principal of my kid's school came, and it was so amazing. And a mom raised her hand, and she said, "I have a I have a really demanding job, and I'm also really introverted, and so I come home sometimes, and my kids are so excited to see me, and it's mommy, mommy, and I just I just want to go upstairs and just want watch Netflix for just like a half hour." But, but I feel so guilty. And the principal actually raised his hand. And he said, Maura, can I answer that? And I was like, totally. Like, you're an ex educator of decades. And he said, yes. Like, yes. If you just need 30 minutes and you're super drained mm -hmm. and you know this is who you are to go watch Netflix, like, please do that for yourself. It is yes. okay. And I always think about that because we don't give ourselves permission as parents. And we think that we are supposed to be magically sunny as parents. And that is such BS, especially right. now. Right. Um, and so, and so I, I, I do believe in giving yourself a little bit of a break to get through um, and that you don't always have to be happy for your kids. Right. I, I, I think I think that part of part of like I see my friends and my reaction growing up in the opposite kind of families of like always having to be like a great mom and have great food and everything's great for your kids. And like, yeah. that's just not real. <laughs> no, it's not. It's exhausting just to hear you even say that. Um, it is it's, exhausting. it's not only it's not real, it's we're modeling for our kids how they we how they're quote supposed to be based on how we are mm -hmm. acting 
which isn't real and it's not a realistic goal. It's just so it, it's it's no one wins in that scenario. No one wins. Yeah. And if our kids don't understand how to feel uncomfortable, which is a lot of what feeling anxious is, mm-hmm. then I don't think that's good for them either. Mm-hmm. Yeah, feeling uncomfortable, feeling sitting in the distress. Um, another like clinical term we use with panic is like riding the wave. Um, it really is a life skill. It really is a resiliency skill. Back to Dr. Ken. It's a resiliency skill <laughs> to be able to tolerate our intense and uncomfortable emotions just to tolerate them and weather them and know that you can. And know that you can. Mm-hmm. I think of... Um, I was- yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, you go, you go. I'm sorry. I was just the image of um, I used to spend a lot of time at the beach growing up and a lot of body surfing, and you know you get hammered and you get spun around under there. And the first few times, at times, you think you are just never going to come up, but then once you do it enough, you realize just hold your breath. You're going to get banged around. Put your hands over your face and your head, and eventually you're just going to get spit out to shore. Like it happened. That's what happens. And knowing that is like panic and anxiety too. If we, if we, I want to almost say befriend it, just like know it, you know, like welcome it, which is a much more of a mindful um, approach of like, all right, here you are. I know you. I know what you mm-hmm. feel like. I can get through this. Feelings aren't facts. Yes. Feelings are not facts. We do not have to believe what we think or what we feel. And it's also really important, more of that, for that you're telling us that here you are in, um, you know, you've been doing work for a couple decades. You um, use multiple modalities. You you benefit from medicine. You are a sp- speaker, leader, um, talk on this topic all the time, and yet you still will have times when you can be knocked back or knocked down, right? Like, it still happens. It's, it still happens. It happens. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And, and it's, it's really hard. I mean, it's easy for me. I'm a privileged white woman, right? I can, I can talk about my anxiety in a way that other people can't. I still find it really hard on my own podcast to get business leaders like in public companies to talk Mm -hmm. about their anxiety or their mental illness. Mm -hmm. There is still such stigma around it. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that I, I can't, I can't change that. I, I, I see hope in, in, in right. the pandemic that we are becoming more humane and more understanding about trauma and about mental illness. But, you know, the, the only thing I can do to help is to talk openly. Right. Yeah. You know, even as you said mental illness, I like internally cringe because it's just my, it, I, I've always have this dilemma of we want to acknowledge a real thing that's there and not to pathologize it so people feel less than, right? And that's why I think like the, t- the neurodiversity movement is such a, uh, is gaining momentum is that, you know, we're all wired differently with different makeup and different talents and different challenges. And I'm just curious, when I heard you say that, like, what do you think about that word mental illness for anxiety? Does it validate you? Does it stigmatize you? I think for me, the mental illness is, I mean, I have a bipolar diagnosis and I, mm-hmm. I have like serious major depressive disorder too. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I don't think that people who have anxiety, even if it's they're on meds and they're seeing a therapist and it's, it's stopping them in their tracks. I, I don't know. They can choose to call themselves mentally ill if they like, but I, I can't make that designation. You know, yeah. I think that in this day and age, if you're not anxious, you're not paying attention. So like <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. that's different. Right. But 
But but sometimes I think about mental illness as the opposite of being mental wellness. Hmm. And so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. if you think of it in that way, you can say, gosh, I'm I'm mentally ill versus I'm mentally well, just as you would if you were say, saying okay. I'm sick, I have the flu right. versus I'm well. Right. Right. And I think, yes, I like that. And I also in processing this in real time with you here, I, I also like the idea of I'm experiencing a mental illness versus a yeah. blanket statement of I am mentally ill. I, it's a temporal diagnosis, a temporal statement versus yes. a long-term diagnosis. Yes. I, I've been following the movement to change schizophrenia, right, mm-hmm. as a mm-hmm. word that is so loaded. Right. Um, and, I, and I think that, <laughs> you know, we, we all have, like, pick your favorite movie when you hear the word, word mentally ill. It, it, is, it is so loaded in our culture. Mm-hmm. But... I also know that for many people, there will be times in their life when they are mentally well, and there will be times in their life when they are mentally ill. That's just how life is. Mm-hmm. And I think as parents, it's so important for us to be able to talk to our kids about either what we're experiencing or what they're seeing, just to, pre- to prepare them for life. Because again, that whole story of we want you to be happy, we want you to be successful, all we want for you is the best. I mean, that is all true. We do want that as parents, but that is a setup if we're not preparing kids about the ebbs and flows of life without increasing their anxiety. I'm not talking about like, hey, life's going to get really hard. You're going to be screwed. I'm not talking about that. It's right. It's like, but how do we prepare them? Yeah, like this is this life can be hard. And this is one of those real moments. And I had something like this too. And this is where we actually have to, we learn resilience and we learn from these experiences. And also empathy, you know, empathy for, for difference, mm-hmm. empathy for what other people are feeling. I think that's so important. Yes. Yes. It only takes, um, us to have a terrible experience, feel awful, really depressed, really anxious, name it, to gain, I think, 100 points on the empathy meter for others who are experiencing the same thing and might be behaving in certain ways as a result. I, I will say, though, that I wanted to say to any parent out there who's listening who is feeling really anxious or depressed right now, that, you know, and, and you can correct me, I'm not a clinician, but, but when you are anxious or depressed, you can feel a little more self-centered than usual because you're worried about yourself and you feel awful and you're obsessing. Mm-hmm. And that's hard as a parent, right? Because that's not what we're supposed to think as parents. We're supposed to think about our kids. We're not supposed to think about ourselves. We're not supposed to hide in our bedrooms and not want to be with people. But, but that just to know that this will pass and you can get help Mm -hmm. and this is not who you are. I just wanted to say that. Yeah. Thank you for that. Um, I was sitting with a client yesterday who has come through a very um, difficult period and he said, gosh, it's like when you're in it, you really feel like it's permanent. Like you really can't see that life will be any other way or you will feel any different. And that is so true. So what would you say, your hacks, if you could give three hacks to our audience listening right now for dealing with, managing, and in the moment, overcoming anxiety? The first... And I and and I'm not talking about like deeply clinical anxiety. I'm talking about like you're you're flooded with anxiety during the workday and you still have yep. to give a meeting. The first is to try to get some distance from your anxiety. I think that that's so important. So that could be shifting your brain to a task 
that is kind of just engaging enough. Like if you're working at home and you're flooded with anxiety, go fold laundry, go do dishes, move a little bit, like try to get some distance away so that your brain isn't sitting there stewing. The other piece is move. I I really, I really think that, um, Sometimes I even like jump around my office. (laughs) I will put a song on and I will just try to like move for a few minutes again, because you're focusing and you're getting outside of the stew, I call it. Um, And then another thing that can be really helpful, and and this isn't for everyone, is to drop anchor, to Mm. breathe and to say, this is making me really anxious. Name it. What about, name it, What what is this? I mean, for me, my whole world changed because I realized I had so much anxiety around money and that whenever I did financial projections, tax meetings, all the things you do as a business owner, it would flood me with anxiety. But when I realized that it was just, it was just money stuff, right, <laughs> childhood right. money stuff, mm-hmm. a lot of the teeth it was defanged, and that is really powerful too. Yeah. All right, everyone, get some distance, move around, and drop anchor and acknowledge, hey, this is this is making me anxious. Name it. Yeah. Name it. All right, Maura, it's time for the parent footprint moment question. Here we go. Tell us about a time that you became aware of yourself as an individual or as a parent or an awareness of your parents. And that new awareness had a positive impact on your life, your kids, or those you love. So there's a moment that is so poignant to me still. Um, I, I traveled a lot in the before times. I was on a plane every week, at least as a consultant, as a speaker. And, um, One night when my first son must have been three years old, I got home late from a flight and I went to check in on him in bed as you do. I kissed his forehead and he opened his eyes and he goes, mommy. And I realized that I was home and he knew I was home. He went right back to sleep. I was his mommy and that he was safe. He felt good because I was home. Mm -hmm. And, um, that both filled me with the biggest sense of love and also a sense of responsibility that mm-hmm. when I left, I had to leave with intention. Right. And when I came back, I had to come home and be present. But I would have cried just thinking about it. Wow. Yeah, you just summarized it right there. <laughs> I mean, like that, that, the, first of all, the feeling of mattering that much and being that important to someone and the responsibility that that brings. And for so many busy parents, like the intention of where we spend our time, what we say yes to. Um, which again, I know comes from a place of, of privilege. Um, what we say yes to, there's a lot of times we can't say yes. And, um, and then the other part of this, which, um, we didn't hit a ton on, which is so important is self care, like then carving out time for yourself to be grounded, to drop anchor, to dance and do all the things that, um, are so necessary to being as well as we can be. Well, Maura, thank you for um, sharing so much of yourself with us today. It 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 is um, your role modeling for us that um, we can be real, we can be vulnerable, we can be fallible, and we can also kick booty and be be <laughs> right. Like I mean, you like you you could do both. It's not they're not mutually exclusive. We could be scared. We could be anxious. We could be depressed. We can have mental health illness. We could be struggling, and we can achieve wonderful things that make a difference. 
show up and do it anyway. Yep. Nice. Okay. Show up and do it anyways. That is a mantra right there. Tell us, tell everyone where, um, how they can easily find your podcast. Um, you've got a new book coming out and you still do speak, although more virtual these days. Yes. And if you want to talk to me or reach out, just message me on LinkedIn. I'll get back to you. There we go. That's simple. That's where they go. Go straight to LinkedIn. That's where they should go. Just go to LinkedIn. Okay. Um, Maura, thank you so much and uh, appreciate, appreciate you. Thanks, Sam. You too. All right, all. You know what I'm going to ask you to do. Awesome. Awesome. Here's what I need you to think about, people. Be real. Be authentic. Just do the best you can with intention. Uh, Thank you for listening to the show, being a part of our community. We love your five-star reviews. Share this with anyone and everyone you think will benefit. And if you want more of Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan, check out our bonus episodes once a month exclusively on Stitcher Premium. To listen, just go to stitcherpremium.com slash Dr. Dan, click start free trial, select a monthly plan and sign up with the code Dr. Dan and you'll get a month of free listening. Try to be that person you want your child or those you care for to become and ask yourself the guiding question I ask myself every day, what footprint do you want to leave? This has been a Peters and Rossi production. Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan is produced by Laura Rossi. Our engineer is Phil Rossi. Theme music is Strummerman, composed and performed by ProTunes. Artwork is by Garrett Ross. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Parent Footprint Podcast and on Twitter at Dr. Dan Peters. If you are an advertiser interested in advertising on our show, go to midroll.com forward slash ads. For more information, go to exactlyrightmedia.com. Listen, subscribe, and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.